Listening Dog Media. DJ. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is How to DJ. How to DJ. Welcome to part two of How to DJ with my special guest, Utah Saints. Make sure you've listened to part one. It's on the How to DJ podcast feed. What could you do for me came out in the summer of 1991, and you thought this was it, I guess. At that point, you think this is the world's gone crazy. Uh, your lives have changed. And it was 18 months before something good came out. So just when you thought your world's changed forever and couldn't get much better, how did it feel when something good came out? Relief. <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, because we were there was a lot of people having one hit at the dance scene. I mean, uh, you know, because a lot of these things would get the charts without much support from much promotion. It was just like word of mouth and, and people hearing it at raves and that would make people go out and buy their, their tracks. So that, what I could do for me, we were really amazed that it sold about 175,000 physical copies. We were starting to pretty freaked out by that. And, and everybody was going, what's the follow-up? What's the follow-up? What's the follow-up? And we thought, we don't know what the follow-up is. So I'm kind of giving you the whole story of something good here, if that's okay. Basically, we've been interested in the art of all this. I think also because we've got anxiety about putting anything out in case people don't like it, like you do when you make anything. I think that's what kind of makes, well, anxiety is horrible, but it drives you on because you keep thinking, I can do better than that. I can do better than that. I can do better than that. And with something good, we, we, we always used to start off with the dance track before the sample. A lot of people would do it the other way around. So we had this track going, we had the beats going, we had the bass line going, we had the piano. And we thought, right, this is all working. Now we need a vocal sample. At the time, in the Brits, there was, there was used to be a female act category. And the two nominees always used to seem to be Annie Lennox and Kate Bush. So we thought Kate Bush is pretty obvious. So went out, bought, uh, well, we'd already got um, Hands of Love. And um, we, we just went through every track on that. And it had to take a few boxes. It had to kind of lock up with what we were playing and stuff. Again, the DJ mentality. It had to, it had to fit but also say something nice. And uh, that line just happened to be there. And it was, again, with the teaching, I do, do an analysis on it because it really doesn't make sense to try and shoehorn it because it's got so much, it's such a busy track in the first place. It's got these huge lindrums on her amazing vocal. It's got the string section, everything. We thought, how are we going to kind of get rid of that but keep a voice? So that took, we just threw the kitchen sink at the track then, just threw every noise we could think of at it. And it kind of locked up. And, and then... We still weren't sure if it was any good or not. I think we we thought, okay, this this is kind of on a par with what can do for me. But who knows? People might have moved on. There's lots of factors. What why things work or don't work. We took it out London Records, uh, Pete Pete Tong's label, and yeah, they, they, they loved it, and they thought it was going to be a number one. And it, so we suddenly thought, thank goodness for that. How many did it sell? That also sold about a couple hundred thousand, but it got then got going in America. That that track got us going in America, so it needed about a quarter of a million in America, with no remixes. It was just the track. We, we didn't we didn't make a big package out of it or anything. The sample was cleared because there's always been a bit of con yeah, contention so, about that. Yeah, it, the sample was cleared because it, we had to clear it because you do not want to get on. You do not want to get caught up in, in the. On the, we, to be honest, we were scared of Kate Bush because, she, and we still are a bit scared of her because she's just an awesome awesome artist who, who nobody can get in here and she's in a, a league of her own so when we did the sample we had that respect to it and we thought 
we hope this will get cleared. And it all went really quiet. It had to go. It went into the outer reaches of the music business, into the stratospheres, uh, because there were people we'd never heard of being talked about. We got it to this person who's then got it to that person. And we thought, oh, ah. And then it came back and it was cleared. And um, we've been eternally grateful for that. For that, All the people who clear samples for, for us, we're eternally grateful to, particularly uh, Kate Bush, because we know how precious she is about her own music. We know how much she cares about her own music. You can see that what's just happened with Stranger Things. She is all over every detail. And so with the benefit of hindsight, it was a massive, massive compliment to, to get that cleared. It's time to head into the big box questions. There's so much more to the story to tell. Hopefully some of those stories will come out as I dip into the box. So I'm going to dip into this record box here. Five questions from this box of 45 for you. I'll dip in. You tell me when to pull one out. And action. <laughs> Tim, I'll ask you this one. Can you name a guaranteed floor filler? Yeah, I can. I'm going to say Donna Summer, I Feel Love. That is one track which is, yeah, if you made it today, even on the technology around today, I reckon you'd struggle to get it sounding better than the original. Hmm. Not many records you can say that. And you could play that record, you know, 50 years ago and it worked and you play it today to like, you know, a, 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 a rave. You could drop it in the middle of a rave and it would still go off. I want to try and take you back, Tim, right, to, to those rave days. Yeah. And at a time when you can remember, think hard, think back, about a time when you've dropped that record at a rave and how it felt for you and what you remember seeing and how you think the crowd felt. Okay. I remember I remember playing, we played that at a rave in Galactica in York back in the day. And yeah, just, just special times really. And it's hard, hard to explain. It's just... Anybody who's ever DJed in front of even five people, the buzz you get, and whether it's five people, 5,000, 50,000, it's like you play music to somebody else and going, I chose this and listen to this is like, it's a buzz. And the day that I don't get that anymore is a day that I sort of stop doing it, basically. But yeah. Have you two ever fallen out? No. <laughs> no, we don't argue about things because it's like, there's no, it's just, there's no point, really. The thing is, we, we, we've got enough mutual respect for each other. We've never got into kind of banter. And so we've kept, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. We're like best mates, but we've always kept a kind of professional standards bit in there, in, in our, our relationship, because we work together. So we've always kept that kind of, that sounds really formal, doesn't it? it it's weird, but but that it's a, it's a mutual respect thing, and we don't, we would never get into kind of hard banter with each other because we're trying to maintain a professional. I wonder if bearing in mind 
the, the period in time that you became famous. I wonder if the reason you haven't fallen out is because of relatively clean living? I don't think it's to do with clean living, no. It's the fact that we weren't big mates before the Utahs. So our whole relationship has been defined by the Utah Saints has been in that relationship, if you like. So it's been a factor in it. And every conversation we have, the Utah Saints will be in there. So it's kind of a professional arrangement. Yeah, which makes it sound way more formal than it is. <laughs> it's, so yeah, but yes, it is. But you're best mates. Yeah. 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 Back into the box for a second question. Uh, stop, please. Chess, this one can be for you. Do you want to be adored? You know what we did? We, we've always been about music. I hope we've never been amazing at, at going, look at us, look at us. We want to be adored because we're, no, I think what we wanted, we, we wanted acceptance from our peers and we've kind of got that. And that's been the, the major thing. When have you most felt adored? So we get taken aback quite a lot because if people come up to us and they go, when you guys started, it, and we've had this from quite a few acts, like big musical acts who kind of got bigger than us, but they come up and they said, I thought dance music was this, and then I saw the Utahs and I, and I realised it was that. Or I used to be into rock music, and then I saw the Utahs and I got into dance music. And just just having that kind of acknowledgement that we, because we did, we were trying to kind of surf genres a bit, accidentally but we, that's what we ended up trying to do and we, we did so many different gigs and so many different scenarios that basically having people come up and say things like that is an amazing thing amazing bit of feedback because you make a track you make it in a studio or, or for us the early ones were made at home and you have no idea of the reach and even when these numbers start to stop making sense until someone comes up and goes i bought your cd and you think wow that's a that's a big thing was there instant recognition, Tim, after doing Top of the Pops? Probably more for Jazz because Jazz had like massive hair extensions in the hair. Yeah, the hair. Jazz had the hair. You see, so a few people like a few people would stop you, but we 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 kind of we made this decision right at the start to make a logo. We, we always loved the KLF, and we thought, right, let's have a great logo, and then we can hide behind it, and so we can walk down the street. So when Bill Drummond described you as the first true stadium house band, how did that feel, Jess? That felt amazing. There was a little bit of a link because when I was in the band MDMA, I was trying to get assigned, I was a big fan of Killing Joke, the band Killing Joke. A roadie for Killing Joke was a guy called Alex Patterson, who was also A&R at EG Records. I was trying to get my band signed to EG Records. So I knew Alex before the orb and he was mates with Jimmy before the KLF, Jimmy right. Corty. So basically, MDMA, I was this close to getting MDMA remixed by Jimmy Corty before he was in the KLF. So I was already a fan of, of what he was doing because he did the jams and stuff. So when the KLF took off, we just thought, this is amazing. And, and we, they name-checked themselves. Everything was KLF. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so we thought, right, we need something like that. So that's where the Utah Saints game thing, thing came from. Of course it is. Yeah, so we thought we're, we're name-checking ourselves. So we bumped into them on the stairs at Olympic Studios, and that was a big, ah, it's a KLF. I just thought they were so clever and they would just mess with everything. It was brilliant.
Who is that voice that you, you, Utah Saints? So that's Keith Langley, who's, who was our drummer for years. And he, he, the story behind that is we wanted a thing like KLF, but none of us could, we didn't have anybody who could sing Utah Saints or whatever it was. So he came in, we just said, just shout Utah Saints. So he shouted Utah Saints. We sampled it and he went home. And then we realized we hadn't, we hadn't, this textbook Utah's, we hadn't tempo, matched it to any kind of tempo. So it was, it was basically too slow for to put on our tracks. So that's why we had to speed it up. And then it's it, then when it was sped up, it was over so quickly, we couldn't get it to scan over things without just keeping repeating it. So that's why we had to stutter it and make it go, you, 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 Saints. <laughs> Had we known it'd become a trademark and people still be bringing it up 32 years later, you know, mm. not 32 years later. I would have put money on that being a female vocal. Wow. Yeah, yeah no, it, it was literally technology dictating what had to happen with that and incompetence on my part for not matching it to a tempo. DJ. Back into the box for a third question. <laughs> Stop. Okay. Tim, what's your craziest night ever at the decks? Oh, craziest night ever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard one, this, because we... It's really hard, because I don't want to, like, name-check anything or anybody. Because we had to do, we had to do, like... A podcast we did a podcast recently talking about our record label uh london records and the history of it and i've got to be so careful about what i say because it's like it comes back on people so if i say my in, in my head my craziest night is like it's still in is there and then what i tell you is going to sound you know will sound really tame so i can't i, I can't answer because it just sound it just sound really like a week night out it's like yes we went out and played some <laughs> records and then i went went back to my hotel and we had a few drinks and it was a lovely night and uh, <laughs> that wasn't the answer i was thinking for. uh just uh again it's not going to be the most except but well, i don't know it depends it depends on your perspective it's not it's maybe not the definition of crazy you want but we used to run a night called the alba room at, at a place called the alba room called sugar beat which was arthur yeah, Arthur Baker's, Baker, yeah. Arthur Baker's place, yeah. So yeah, again, another weird connection. We did that every Saturday for 10 years and we started off not as the Utahs, just, just we just used to play, uh, I used to do funk and disco and Tim do house and hip hop and a bit of drum and bass at the end. Anyway, every Saturday we did that. We had, and we had, um, Tim was away DJing and had a DJ called John Stapleton DJing and he, he's, he's a brilliant DJ, brings all seven inches very much into his seven inch funk and uh, the originals and stuff. So he's got that. Turns out it was the same weekend as Leeds Festival and Run DMC were headlining Leeds Festival. So I just got John Stapleton on the decks and Run DMC walk in and everyone's going, it's Run DMC, I don't know what to do. So I go up to Run DMC, I go, what do you want? Anyway, champagne. I go, that's all. And they go, what else do you want? And they want some kind of room. So I said, we've got a VIP room going to bed. Anyway, cut long story short, Got John Stapleton there with with his really nice seven inches and the guy from Rio, I, I can't remember which, I think it was Reverend, get, got, gets into the tiny little booth, which can only really hold one person. So it's quite a squeeze in there because John Stapleton's quite a tall guy. Quite a squeeze in there. I look over at the DJ booth and John Stapleton's looking at me going, this is this guy. And I go, it's all right. And I said, he wants to know if you've got a Rapper's Delight on 12. And I said, yeah, I've got Rapper's Delight and I've also got Walk This Way. 
So then I had to get under, but as I crawl, to get into the DJ booth, you have to crawl under the kind of surface of it. And it's quite narrow. And I'd underestimated how small it was. So I kind of got in on my hands and knees and stood up. And then the three of us were stuck in this kind of maneuvering thing. And I had to get, try and find this, this record, which involved all three of us maneuvering around while the tracks were playing. And luckily I found the 12 inches of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Rapper's Delight. And next thing we know, we've got Run DMC rapping along to I'll um, uh, uh, just Radio. come back to that one, one, th one thing. Yeah, so probably a great, the greatest moment for me would be, I think we were in Australia or New Zealand and we were DJing and we, we were playing before Public Enemy. And which is quite hard anyway in itself. And we've, we've been in- As a festival. As a festival. So we've been in some hard situations to DJing, you know, on different acts and bands, but Public Enemy, you know, is 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 an awesome honor to play before Public Enemy at a festival. And um, I just remember being DJ, and I remember turning around and just because um, Chuck D is like an idol of mine, and I remember just turning around and seeing Chuck at the side of the stage, like watching, and he just kind of goes like that, and that was like that was a moment. What about supporting you too? Yeah, that's that was that was amazing. Um, I think it's on, on our Instagram or Facebook thing. There's, there's a picture, and it's quite a legendary picture, an iconic picture, because a lot of people come up to us and go, "That that picture is amazing." And it's it, it's it's myself stood on the decks in, and it's in the football stadium in Lisbon, Portugal. And if you look out, you can just see like seventy thousand people in the stadium, and that that was a tough gig because you two had not played there for like fifteen years. And as far as, you know, we hadn't had a record out there and you two were wicked because they'd asked us personally to support them. We did 10 gigs on the Europa tour. So like I say, we'd never played there. So as far as I was concerned, we, you know, they'd not been there for 15 years. We were holding them up for another half an hour. <laughs> so, so it was hard. But you we, two at the height of their powers yeah, as well. Yeah, when they were the biggest band in the world. And for them to take, you know, the biggest rock band in the world and... Back then, there was a bit of a division between rock and dance music, whereas now with the iPod generation, people just listen to everything and it's like a shuffle play. But there was a bit of a division. You're either like dance rock kind of thing. And for them, you know, Paul Oakenfold was playing as well, the Ramones and Stereo MCs and Bjork. We were kind of switching, alternating on the lineup. So it was really diverse. But that, that was a moment and, you know, that picture sort of summed it up for me. There have been a lot of moments, Jess. There have been a lot of moments. I was I was just thinking, Jess, don't mention that, don't mention that, don't, because we'll be here for a while, yeah. But there's been like, once you start framing like that, there's there's been a lot of moments, yeah. Hmm. You kind of uh, looked a little bit misty-eyed as Tim was talking about <laughs> you two there. Do you know what? I think as Utahs, we're all about, we, we I can remember doing an interview for, for one of the dance press and he said, and I was, I'm still annoyed about it because he was eating a sandwich and it was down the phone. And he was saying, oh, you're all about moments, aren't you? Like it was a bad thing. And I was going, yeah, no, we are all about moments. So with you two, the first gig was in Rotterdam. We walked down the, the player's tunnel. It was perfect because the road crew were sound checking where the streets have no name. And he's got this big intro and stuff. And we got to see where the streets have no name 10 times on that tour. And every time, if you watch it on YouTube, even it'll move you, I guarantee it. Because the lights, um, they bring the house lights on at a certain moment in the intro of that track. And the whole crowd looks around and you go, 60, 70,000 people here, all in this moment with this music. And it's just amazing. Back into the box. Back <laughs> into the box. Um, for question four. 
And stop, please. I don't know who to ask this one. I'm going to ask you both the same question. Jez, first, how much planning goes into your sets? So at the moment, Tim leads on that, but you can never fully plan a set. You could never, you'd have to be in, you know, I don't think you could never fully plan a set. If you, I think that you need to read the crowd and you need to work out who's been on before you and who's on after you. And we would, you know, we're still, we will still get there at least an hour before our set to make sure that we're not repeating anything anybody's played in that hour. Um, and so there is, there's a lot of planning in terms of researching tracks and finding the right things to play and making our own edits and, um, and, and making sure that we, whatever version we're going to play, we are really comfortable with. But other than that, in terms of planning out the actual set, there isn't, no. What do you love to open with, Tim? Well, we always see a DJ set as, you know, it needs to have, it, it, it needs to have, whatever long it is, it needs to have obviously a big powerful beginning and it kind of, you need to hold the crowd there and we always have an intro we always make an, like, a cool intro and then kind of go into something that's got a lot of energy and then we try and keep it going which is hard and you know the older i get personally you know the more anxious i get about a set and you know so like in a week or so's time we're playing in we're just doing a little festival in inverness and we're playing for 90 minutes so you know, I've had kind of been prepping that for a long time. But the funny thing is, I'll prep it and I'll go, right, I'm going to do this, do this, we're going to do this. And, you know, and then when I get there, just, I just chuck it all out the window. <laughs> but I still do the same thing. And every time it, it, it's on the fly and it says nothing, nothing's rehearsed. And, but for my anxiety, I have to make sure it's there. So I could, you know, if I had to fall back on it, I could, but then. We, we don't rehearse it and we've never rehearsed as Utah's like we had we we had one rehearsal booked I think in about 2002 or three and and I didn't turn up I, something happened and that, that was the only time we had a rehearsal <laughs> so we we kind of we just make stuff and and try and make it work somehow on the fly and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't but I don't think um you know, you, you could you could you could prep a DJ set and go right. I'm going to start this record, and then I'm going to play this record, play that record. And you can turn up, and then five minutes before you're doing the DJ plays three records that you want to do. So you've got that's when being a DJ is being a DJ because you've got to think on your feet and just completely switch it up. It comes back to that whole thing about yeah, no, what, no yeah, what's next. Yeah, yeah. There's you, there's you know you certain things you know that are going to work, and you can kind of work out little ideas and. I do that. I'm going to do that, but we don't plan anything. Jess, what do you love to open with? Again, that depends because it, we do such a variety of gigs. So we'll, we'll get booked into, I don't know, we'll, we'll get booked into like a, a techno club in Spain and sort of have to do a bit more techno, techno stuff. Or we'll get, I can still remember turning up at a festival in Scotland and we end up on the main stage after the Zootons. So and, and Tim said that after Public Enemy or... Uh, last time in Australia, we were between Boys Noise and Steve Aoki. And and where did we play? Where we were in between Storm and Camo and Crooked. So that's like a two drum and bass act. And we don't play, you know, we can play a little bit of drum and bass, but we're not going to, we have to stick to what we are as Utahs. But that is a broad 
abroad church. Yeah, the only, the only time I've ever been wound up is in my whole career, in which we don't do these anymore, because is we once had to do like a corporate gig. So we're playing music and that. And book, and to me, if, like, if you book Utah Saints, um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to play dance music and that. So we're kind of, so we're playing our records and like, every 10 minutes, like, this, somebody will come over and it goes, the client has requested. <laughs> the, client, the, the client this and the client that. And, and it's like, I, I can't do this. Not for, you know, it, it just can't do it because it's, the client can come over themselves and tell us if they want a, do you know what I mean? And B, it's like, if you book us a DJ, we're going to play what we think is good records to your crowd. We're experienced at doing that. And for, so for somebody to come over and go, the client's requested that, it, to me, it means we don't do like, I'm probably going to just lost a million pound contract. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but, yeah, I was going to say, let's not put out that we never do corporate gigs. <laughs> it's uh, it's a bit of a partridge, it's a partridge moment, that. Yeah, final yeah. question yeah. from the box. So maybe we can edit that. Wouldn't it? Just to, <laughs> yeah, just to... It's time for your final question from the box, guys. <laughs> Stop. Tim. As a DJ, so in the line of work, have you ever faced danger? Yeah, there's danger in terms of like electric shocks. Or I remember, yeah, my tip is to everybody, every, every DJ, always get public liability insurance. Because <laughs> very early on in my career, I remember... Careful. I remember doing a, <laughs> yeah, I remember doing a gig and then uh, and thinking it'd be really cool afterwards because just shut the record out in the crowd but obviously vinyl it's like a frisbee with a razor blade on the side and uh so i remember just chucking a record out in the crowd and it, it just it caught somebody allegedly allegedly just <laughs> <laughs> again <laughs> we're, gonna walk, we're gonna walk out of here with no corporate gigs and, and no sued. corporate gig and <laughs> sued yeah so yeah so it happened 30 yeah. years ago allegedly yeah. or didn't yeah so um <laughs> but yeah so don't chuck your records out into the crowd and that's dangerous, and yeah, and on the U two gigs as well. That was that was scary because they were right on the front of the stage, and then sometimes it would rain, and just like you know what it's like when you're outside and you're DJing in rain. It's just yep. not fun. And then yeah, just all clubs and raves back in the day were just a nightmare because I remember you know, we were saying we had take a five piece band into a rave in Essex. They'd have one plug on the wall, and we'd have. 30 things to plug in and we'd just hook those six bar extensions up all into one thing and often take the power out. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jess? Ever been threatened? No, he hasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, early career. So you learn, this is what I mean about doing weddings and having a mobile set up. So I was being about 16 and I had to get my mate to drive us everywhere because I couldn't, I wasn't 17, so I didn't have a car. Did a, a gig at a, place called Longtown, which is, again, near Carlisle, up in the Scottish borders. And I can still remember that because there was a guy asking me for a track. So it was a track called uh, Living Next Door to Alice, and it was by Smokey. And I can still remember this to this day because what happened was I made a fundamental DJ error, which was he came up and he asked for this record, and I said, I didn't have it, and I was, had no intention of playing it. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll play it later, thinking I can kick that can. But those experienced DJs amongst us will know that that is absolutely the wrong strategy uh, because he came up again and I went, yeah, yeah, I will, I will, I will plan. Anyway, end of the night and I'm packing up, 
pinned against the wall. 16-year-old boy, I've got a question now, he's a fully grown man and I was 16. But yeah, he pinned me against the wall because apparently he had lived next door to someone called Ali. <laughs> of all the records. <laughs> of all as the well. records as well. Yeah, so, I'll, so that that's a... That is would be a big tip to anybody starting DJ. And as you all know yourself, is is don't bluff those kind of situations. Guys, you've been awesome. Thank you so Thanks, much. Chris. You've been awesome, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you for having no, us. I've just sat here and listened to incredible stories. <laughs> Before you go, I have one final question for you. It's the end of the world, and you've got to play the last three records on earth. What would they be? Are we doing three each? No. <laughs> no, you, you come as a pair. Okay. So three between you. And of course, this is with the caveat that if I asked you this same question tomorrow, they might be three different records. Okay. Well, I would go for, I'd have to play Killed by Death by Motorhead. Because it's the end of the world. Yeah. And what would that be followed by, Tim? <laughs> See, I, so I, you can't I'd, follow that. So I, I would probably just kind of, I would shut the whole thing out, what's going to happen. And, and I would probably just play a nice, calm record that makes me smile, which is Roy Ayers, Everybody Loves the Sunshine. Yeah, gorgeous song. And the sunshine. So that we're going to call that record two. Yeah. So it Jez, it falls to you oh, no. to play the very last song ever on earth after to Roy Ayers. I would segue two records. That's cheating a bit here, but I would segue two records. Firstly, I'd put in uh, Mana Mana by the Muppets because that's a brain, that's a, an earworm that you cannot get rid of. True. So you're going to keep that going no matter what. And the second, I would just go again, uh, revealing my, my starting out at doing weddings. I'd go for Dancing Queen. Because that ultimately would just, I think, unify everybody. All right. <laughs> I'm trying to think of that mix. And I, yeah, I can imagine the end of the world and Abba playing. You know what? We'll probably regret that as well because we probably should have come up with some three house classics because when we're DJing out, mostly we sent around house. So we should have come up with three. Go on, do an alternative house classic, one to finish. French Kiss. Yeah. Still yes. in void. Okay. Guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Jez and Tim, Utah Saints, and that was How to DJ. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from. 